0: two, one, two, three, four. Hey y'all, this is Seba, the Southern Pride Witch, and this is episode five of season two. I wanted to thank all of y'all who wrote in to me after my last episode. That was a whole lot of support, and I am thinking about it from multiple points of view right now. I'm struggling a little bit today on whether or not to go get a P.O. Box. I've had several of y'all offer to send me little things, and boy, I tell y'all what, that would be awesome. I would love to get presents from y'all. Or even a handwritten card. That would be awesome. So I need to look into doing it. But I reckon the hardest part of that is me walking into anywhere right now. So if I can get an N95 to throw on to go do that right quick, I might do it. That would be lovely. Of course, I'd prefer to be able to tell you exactly where I lived. But now y'all know I can't do that. Not because y'all are crazy. I mean, y'all are my kind of crazy. But because we don't need outed quite yet, that's not the way I want to go. Today I am doing the very thing that brings me the most pleasure at this time of the year. I'm a bit landlocked where I sit in Alabama. Well, I mean, not super landlocked. We have lakes and a river and creeks, and I think it would take us only about four hours to get to the shore however for someone like me that kind of landlock still does matter i mean i love it here i love it here but if i had my druthers y'all i would probably live on i don't know one of those golden islands over there in georgia that's just like the perfect mix of everything you know what i'm saying then i might miss the mountains of alabama and there's a lot of mountain in me anyhow um when it gets like this it's because of the landlocked situation. So we're cold, and we're kind of drizzly, and I haven't seen the sun in a minute. Now, if we were closer to the shore, that wind would blow some of these clouds away, and we'd see a little bit something extra in the way of sunshine. But let me stop bitching about it and tell you what I do. Well, first of all, I cry and um, kick and piss and groan and act like a complete baby. That's what I do first because we're not going to (laughs) pretend that I'm not an asshole about it being cold and rainy and gross outside. And then I have other things I do. I know most people do all their spring cleaning right there around March, but not me. The second that tree is down, I want to clean everything. I go through old drawers and I go through old cabinets and shit just gets drugged right out of this house. We're going to get a new coat of paint. I want all the windows clean. There's just something about kicking the old year out and (laughs) bat children this year. That's not really quite enough. I kind of want to beat it up for setting on fire. But we all know how to do self-care. That is not what I'm talking about right now. Self-care for me is a good bottle of port and a nice foot bathtub. What I do to really kick winter in its ass, and it's always about this time of year, As I get out my Baker Creek Heirloom Seed Catalog. Now, I know they would probably just be unended if they found out that a witch was mentioning them on their podcast. However, they certainly aren't sponsoring me. And I can talk about them if I want to. They're fantastic. I love them, y'all. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go onto their website and order one of these. I think they're free the first time. I'm not sure. Order one of these catalogs. They are really big about color. So I remember, was it last year? When almost everything on the front was purple. Oh my God. Y'all know how witches feel about purple. Am I right? And then this year, it's red. (laughs) Red okra. So go grab you one of those. It'll cheer you up. Run through that thing dream big. Last year, I would already gathered all my seed for 2020. And by gathered, I I mostly mean that I I saved my seed. I know how to save seed. I know how to save it differently, uh, depending on what you're going for. You would never save a tomato seed the way you would say an okra. There's a whole process there that you need to do. But about this time of the year, I I go ahead and I try to buy a few things, too. I like to try something new every year. I'm not dead yet. And I've done a lot of cool stuff. Like last year, I did papilla. Or is it papillo? Papillo. I'm Southern, so I'm murdering the word. And wahillo. And they were fun. I'm sticking with the papillo. Nice, mild, kind of spicy, but mostly it kind of cooks down a little bit and it's long and and dark green, almost black when it's dehydrated. You know what? It's one of the peppers that goes into mole, so it's very sacred over there in Mexico. Anyway, I'm keeping that one. But there's been some fancy highfalutin things that I've tried that aren't so great, and just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean we should. Am I right? And I didn't know the bottom was falling out, so this year... We're going to be a little bit more sturdy. I reckon we're going to be a little bit more basic. Doesn't mean I won't do something cool, but we are going to be a little bit more down home. I mean, nobody in their right mind needs to plant 25 rows of Caribbean fish pepper. I have no idea what I was thinking. I gave away most of them because they're just searing hot. They're cool, though. They are cool. They're They're different and they're rare. But the truth is, I don't eat anything that hot. I do like habanero sauce. Oh my God, I do like that. And I do like stuffed jalapenos. Y'all, I don't stuff my jalapenos with cream cheese like every other person I know in Alabama. I stuff it with really nice, high-grade pimento cheese. And then, because, you know, being a vegetarian, I've tried several times and I keep failing when it comes to this particular thing, but then I'll wrap it in bacon and I roast it real slow in the oven. Oh my god, y'all. Even if you don't wrap it in bacon just one time, go get the nice pimento cheese or make you one, but don't get the, you know, I hate to say it, but don't get the cheap shit. It, It tastes plastic. It tastes runny. It's too sweet. Don't do that, but do try just one time. Write to me and tell me how delicious it was. Anyhow, this year we are focusing more on beans, beans, beans. And I've grown corn for the last four years and it takes up a lot of space on my land and it does kind of rape the land of nutrients and time. And I I have to say that it is breaking my heart. I've already told my kids, but not this year. This year we're going to trust in our local farmers and take their corn. It won't be as good. It probably won't be organic, but I need that space for eggplant and tomatoes and green beans and black beans. And we also work with yacon, which is absolutely delicious and hails from the Andes. And y'all ought to look that up. That stuff is a maize balls. You can grow it in a really big bucket if you want to. It's fun. Especially if you've got kids, you're going to enjoy this. You're like little green apples underneath the ground. Kind of tastes like pear and really sweet when you cure them. And I pickled all mine. Well, they're super crunchy. So I pickled all mine except for like one or two and I put them in a coleslaw. So as you can see, this is where my mind is right now. And it's out of self-defense. I think I've told y'all before, I garden out of self-defense. Helps uh, keep my mind off the abyss, if you know what I'm saying. And as a kitchen witch, I really want and need to have that connection to my food. And I highly encourage you to try to do something like this. Now, I know not everybody has a tiny piece of land. However, if you have a pot, then you have a way to do this. You know, I don't even have a full two acres, we are a micro farm, we are tiny. All that stuff I tell y'all about, then I grow. I grow it on such a tiny scale. And it's enough to keep us in food all year. And medicinal herbs and flowers. And you can do it. You can do it. If you have a tiny little patch of yard that gets sun, rip that son of a bitch up and put in food. As long as you're legally allowed to. And if you're not legally allowed to do that, consider growing herbs in a pot there's something about seeing something come up from seed and go to harvest on your table that puts us in such a deep connection with the earth and it heals us so give it a shot anyway that's where my head is at it's somewhere between red okra and louisiana long green eggplant it's about the only way i can stay sane you know as hard as this has been, I mean, politically, economically, watching my friends die, waiting on my shot, and um, hoping, struggling like the rest of y'all, because, you know, 2020 may be over, but the virus is not, and all the damage it's caused is not, and somewhere in that, I think I've told you before, I have to go, I have to go to the plants, I have to go to the trees. It's like they don't know what's happening, you know? Well, I mean, of course they don't, but they know a lot of things. I guess they just don't care at the end of the day. That oak tree out there in my yard, several hundred years old, it's its seen some pretty bad stuff. With this connection to plants, it may be all that saves me now. Well, that my grandbaby, and I've told y'all before, I think I've told y'all, you'd have to go way back to another year, but... I remember the first time I ever connected to a plant like that. I don't know if it was the first time. It's the only time I have a memory. And it was this beautiful tall cactus. And I was running and playing. And broke it nearly slap in half, except for like half the skin on one side. And I was somewhere between nine and ten years old. And I ran and I got band-aids. And (laughs) I put the entire box on this thing, wrapping it around and around, trying to hold it together together and it made it. I used to go talk to it every day. It lived and got taller than my own mama. She left it somewhere. She didn't have the same connection to plants I did. Probably would still be alive today if I'd gotten my hands on it, but I remember when I saw it again, much older, full grown. I traced that big spine all the way down to the base, and I found this deep scar on that cactus that scar, that was my mistake that I tried to fix. And you know what, honey? I did fix it. I just couldn't be around for its life after I did. I don't know why we think that if we go to heal something, then we automatically get the right to that thing. I've tried to save lots of folks in my life. And some of them I really did not help. I thought I was helping and it was kind of a Useless battle, but then sometimes I did do some good. But I have to watch from afar. Came in, put all the band-aids on, and the rest of it was up to that, um, plant, you know? We don't own a thing just because we helped it. It gets to go on and have its own life, make its own mistakes. You know, plants are funny like that. They will teach you all kinds of things about living and loving and hurting and. I don't know, even going on with your life. I think they've even taught me something about dying, but I reckon to give you the full spectrum on that, I'd have to come back as a ghost and tell you what I thought. But I do know they have taught me about dying. There's so many plants I could discuss right now, but the one I'm thinking about was an avocado tree. Now, avocado trees do not grow in Alabama. Well, I mean... They may attempt to, but um, they would have to stay in a very controlled environment. Uh, they would have to be consistently heated, and it's very hard to do all of that and make sure they pollinate. It's very unlikely, but what had happened was I was 43 years old and had gotten pregnant, and she grew all the way to four months in my belly. She was beautiful. Her name was Riley. She did not make it, and I don't think I will ever be to the place where I could talk about that. It feels too private. But I will tell you that while we were trying to get pregnant, I was so in love with my husband, and I really, really wanted to have a baby with him. But while we were attempting to get pregnant, my husband was eating avocados because they increase sperm count, and, I mean, also, they're just really fucking good. And, uh... He was eating like two a day. It was warm outside, and he was throwing those pits out there in my front planter box The box was full of things like orange amaryllis from my grandmother, who had passed, and I kept them, and sage, and thyme, and all kinds of lovely little things. And he just kept on throwing the pits in there. And late summer, very late summer, after we had lost her, we lost her on July ninth. So somewhere around August or September, I was pulling weeds, crying. I really never got over losing her. I became a changed person. Anyway, I was pulling all these weeds and um, something gave me a little bit of a tug and wouldn't come up in my hand. So, I don't know if it was magical or coincidence or blind luck, but I decided to look down and see why it was giving me so much crap about coming out of the ground. And I saw this avocado pit and it was split in half, and right in between it was a tree. And that was what I was pulling on. You know, it's still hard to talk about, so I will kind of dance around that pain. But this was the tree that came out of trying to have Riley, and she was gone. And just so y'all know, they will not let you keep the remains. Not in the state of Alabama, because they're heartless bastards. And therefore, we had nothing to bury. And all I had was this tree. Well, y'all, I tried. I put that damn tree in a pot, and I kept it for, I don't know, it might have made it four years, somewhere in there. And when we moved to the property we're on now, of course, I brought her with me. I put her in a little hothouse my husband had made for me out of old windows. It was a, a beautiful endeavor, but let me tell you, the windows don't really hold in heat very well. And we paid a lot of money every damn winter trying to keep this thing hot, trying to keep all these plants that I loved alive. And one of them, one of them was this avocado tree. And then my depression got the best of me. And I asked my husband to be the one to water the hot house that winter. I mean, even in the winter, they need water. And you know, we all make mistakes, and he made a mistake, and he forgot to do it for a while. And I went out there in February, and threw the doors open, and everything was dead. Now, that hurts me alone. I'm a very rooty witch, and plants mean everything to me. So alone, that was painful. But when I found that little tree all withered up, I did everything in my power to revive it. But of course, you can't do that. It's a tropical tree. It wasn't going to come back. Nothing I did was going to bring that back. No more than I could bring back Riley. It was in some ways her headstone for me. But even those things aren't permanent, y'all. And so I blamed him, and we fought, and I hurt over it. Well, there were two truths I could not get away from. Number one, it was my responsibility to water that hothouse. And number two, some things aren't supposed to be here. Some things are just too precious for where we are and the environment or what they were meant to do or what they were meant to teach us and how they were supposed to live. It just doesn't all work out, you know? Oh, we've trying to find a beautiful stone and let that represent her. But the truth is, is that Riley is gone. And Riley's been gone a long time. I haven't felt her. I think she got to go on and be something else. And I think for me and my silly little witch, Alabama brain, that's what that avocado tree was trying to tell me. She was here for a while. She made us very happy. She danced on the ultrasounds. I felt that warmth in my belly, and I felt that love in my heart, and I wanted her so much. It just wasn't the right environment. Things didn't work out. And the more 2020 went by, the more I immersed myself into plants. kept thinking about this damn avocado tree. Now, I'm not going to lie. I've got three other avocado trees in there now, and the heat ever goes out, they're dead as a doornail. And they're not really about anything except, you know, I'm the little engine that could. So I've got a couple of them that are six feet tall in that hothouse. But what I think the most during this year of loss that we just finished this year, and we're not done, Bat Children, we are not done with this year of loss. But I leaned into those plants. I leaned into all of the things they could teach me. I leaned into the way they heal people. They will heal you, they will. I thought about that cactus. I thought about all of the plants I've loved and lost. And I thought about all of the children I've loved and lost. Then I realized that that headstone just isn't necessary for me. The headstone for Riley. Why, that's in my heart. And that's what that damn tree taught me. There was nothing to bury there. There was nothing left. it had gone on. And y'all may think I'm really silly, and that's okay. I thought, you know what? That tree was reborn as another tree. How silly am I? (laughs) I know. I'm very sentimental. But it was born somewhere wonderful. Somewhere where it was warm and where it could survive. And the environment was right for it. And it made babies there. And just because I can't see, and just because I can't be a part of that, doesn't mean it's not real. All right, well, plants have taught me more than that. In fact, I had a conversation with my best friend today, and we were going over the similarities between gardening and growing things and a natural witch life. Now, it's his contention that we're talking about kind of the differences between rudy, crunchy witchcraft, you know, that natural thing that happens in us that is neither good nor bad, just magic, and ritual magic. Now, I don't want to step on any toes here, but I do see what he's saying. You know, high ritual requires a certain amount of tools, and it requires a certain amount of rules. And it can lean into the dogmatic area of things. Witchcraft, just your average, everyday magical moment. Now, it could use a tool or two. And in fact, if you have a favorite tool or two, that kind of helps you get in that headspace of magic. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the Catholic Church knows what I'm saying. They've got the robes, they've got the candles, and everything must be in a certain order. And for me, there are some favorite things that I really want and really need in my magical life. However, I don't have to have them. They may help me get in headspace, but y'all, it's not critical. So let's chat a little bit about how gardening and growing things and doing so on a regular basis can be a whole lot like a witch life. Thought about this quite a bit. Right now, I'm in that planning stage that's where I take out a piece of paper and (laughs) draw out everything where I want it to be and where I think it will probably best grow and it's when if I need to order seeds in case I didn't save the ones I wanted or in case there was cross pollination that this is it this is when I go into those catalogs we discussed and it's a lot of fun and it's very you know in line with the season. Between Yule and Imbolt, this is when I do all that planning. I look back in my gardening journals and I think about the lessons I've learned. And this is where I would go in deep and utilize that knowledge that I'd garnered from previous years to plan out my future year. Well honey if that's not intent, and if you're a witch you know what I mean. I don't know what is. And this is fully that place where I'm plotting out and strategizing. And you have to do that with intent and in mind. All right. Well, there's this really cool thing I learned when I was designing a course for a, uh, a graduate class. And it's called backwards design. And if you've been in any kind of design, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Backwards design looks at your intended outcome first. And there you go. There's that big pot of gold <laughs> or that big tomato on a plate, right? So that's the where you begin in backwards design. And a lot of people do this to create everything from a business plan to, well, a college course. So there you go. And what you have to do with backwards design, and if your head works in this way, it's kind of fun, is you think about the step that would have gotten you to your product that would have been just before it. And you continue to go backwards and backwards and backwards to assure that the beginning will lead you there. What I always do is then I go forward again to assure I didn't miss anything. I know this is a little bit confusing, but... So you take a tomato... All right, and that's what you want. You want a tomato. Well, now, do you want a perfectly gorgeous tomato or do you want a lot of them? Do you want them to all arrive in the middle of summer? Do you want them to have an extended life? So you think about that intent, right? Now you got to back it up. You got to think about are they growing in August? And if you're smart, they are. Did you get an indeterminate variety? What about all the pruning you're going to have to do? Do they have a space that's going to allow those arms to really kind of leave about a eh, foot to two foot space over the ground? So you're going backwards and you're thinking this out. And that's kind of how I do witchcraft too. All the way back to that first seed and then back all the way up to that tomato. That's my planning. And when we're thinking about this kind of thing in alignment with the craft, we have to think about the other things. Well, that intent that we discussed, right? And that's my final product. I want that to be an organic thing. I don't want it to have pesticides or poisons on it. I want it to be the most nutritious tomato I can get. So I'm already thinking, well, I'm okay with less tomatoes if I can get nutritious, poison-free tomatoes. You see how this works? Well, while I was talking about this with Janice today, one of the things I kept thinking about are all the ways I have to work backwards <laughs> in my intent, in my plan, to assure that I can have those pesticide-free tomatoes or whatever. And that takes a little bit more planning than throwing some 7-dust on something. Believe me, it takes a lot more planning, but it's worth it to me. I don't really know where to start because there's so many things I do to assure that I can grow them without pesticides, but let me think. Let's just start at the start. I mean, You've got to have good soil. You've got to make sure that it's full of good organic matter. You've got to have good drainage. You don't want all kinds of puddles or mold or mildew. You've got to have it southern exposure facing that sun as many hours as you can get in that day. You've got to have some kind of watering plan. I go with micro-irrigation. Well, at least I do from a high tunnel. And by the time you plant these little seedlings or the seed, you need to be thinking about companion planting. Now, if you're not a farmer or you're not a gardener, you may not know what the hell I'm talking about. Companion planting has everything to do with another buddy, another little organic buddy growing alongside that does a lot of the work for you. You know, it's not that it's not getting what it wants out of life. It is. But it works out well with this other plant, For instance, marigolds. Now, they're going to fight all kinds of pests, but they're also going to bring in pollinators. They're going to be really happy alongside your tomatoes. Y'all are going to have to excuse the dogs. We have a lot of them, and they're going to bark. I'm sure it's squirrel. All right, well, now that's not all companion plants do, though. They don't just fight off pests. Okay? I learned a long time ago that if I planted basil with my tomatoes, that the symbiotic relationship between the two plants, um, by the way, that's called mutualism, worked better than me putting fertilizer down on that tomato. And there's been a lot of studies about that. Y'all go look that up. Mutualism. So they're working together. I mean, well, yes, basil does fight hornworms and, and, well, repels them. Mosquitoes and flies. But there's something going on between these two plants that's even deeper than that. My basil grows as tall as my tomatoes. It's, it's wonderful, this kind of companionship gardening, and that has everything to do with my witchcraft too. The right people around me, I grow, I thrive. Now, I tend to be fairly solitary. But we all know that every relationship we have is magical in one way or the other. For instance, my friend Janus, he's really wonderful at calling bullshit on me when I need to have bullshit called on me. But he's also not doing it to beat me down or win a game up against me. I have thrived so much in this relationship. The things I needed that I rarely ever got from a friend, I get from this guy. Honesty, fairness, room to grow, room to say you're sorry, the ability to see when you're wrong, and the ability to push a little bit when your friend needs to be pushed. Everything I needed, I get out of this relationship with him. Well, not everything. (laughs) We are platonic. But quite a bit of what I need I get out of this relationship. Now, if you've ever listened to one of my very first podcasts ever, you've heard the, uh, what was it, Boundaries for Beautiful Souls, right? Still stand by everything in that. And the truth is, if you don't go through that step, if you don't get out the plants that are actually harmful to your growth, Everything I'm saying now won't really matter. It'll be quite the clusterfuck, y'all. You can have all the basil growing around your little tomato ass. It won't matter if you're having to fight off all the toxicity. So that's critical to pay attention to what grows well with each other. For instance, I don't know if you know this, but garlic and green beans do not, they're not friends. I mean, they're friends in the pot, but they're not friends when they're growing, okay? They work against each other. It doesn't mean that garlic's not wonderful and the green beans aren't wonderful. It just means they don't do well in that same location. They're toxic to each other. So I don't know if you've ever had a friend that you really love, but doesn't even have to get into who's right and who's wrong. You just don't grow well together in the same area. Does that make any sense? So that's another thing plants have taught me. Think about your companions. Think about mutualism and symbiotic relationships and how you can help each other grow even if you're different. And think about those friends or acquaintances that regardless of their intent, it could be bad. I'm not saying. But regardless of that, their energy field is just really not conducive to your growth. All right, I know I'm going to beat this analogy near dead. So y'all take a deep stretch and get ready for another one. (laughs) Crop rotation. I don't care if all you have is a raised bed, you better rotate. Okay? There's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, there's the fact that standing in one place too long, you take too many nutrients out of that soil, and then you can't thrive anymore. You've kind of laid waste to that. But there's another reason. If you let a, let's say, squash plant stay in the same location every time you plant it, you plant it there again. All those little pests, all those little boogers that would like to eat the hell out of your beloved squash, they locate you. Mm-hmm. They locate you. They know where you are. They lay their babies there. They're ready for you the next time you try to do this. They have found you. They have gotten past your wards. And we've talked about wards, right? We've talked about blue haint doors. Go find that podcast. So for me, crop rotation has everything to do with blue haint doors. And you know, the truth is, I mean, this has nothing to do. Well, I mean, it could. But for my purposes, it has nothing to do with geography. I'm not saying you got to move your ass and your family every four months. I am saying that if you remain in the same headspace for too long, okay, and that is where you remain, those oogie boogies and astral nasties, they're going to find your ass. You better rotate something, girl. And there are a lot of other ways I could beat this analogy to death. I will try to resist. But one of the things I must speak to, I just must, are your, um, bodyguards. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know aphids. They have landed on my property. They're not the only nasty little booger, hornworms, and army caterpillars. I mean, it's a lot of fun, isn't it? And since I'm not using pesticide, well, I have to rely on some bodyguards. And so, I've released ladybugs, I have released praying mantis, and then there's my favorite, orb weavers. Oh, my God, do I love them, y'all. And I want to tell you right now, y'all are killing me. Every one of y'all that takes down one of those webs and hits at them and hurts them, I, I don't think we're friends, okay? I don't think we can be friends. You're not paying attention. These things do not want down off their web, Okay once they do this web, they get all the food they need up there. They're not coming down and messing with you in your sleep. They don't want to eat you. They want to stay up there. They want, you know what, damn it, go read Charlotte's Web. Please, these spiders do not want to mess with you. Now, if you grab one and you squeeze it, it's going to bite the mess out of you, honey. But if you will leave it alone, I cannot tell you how long we have lived with orb weavers. How, you know, on occasion they build their orbs right there where we walk down off our porch and we just learn how to kind of dip and curl underneath that thing because they're catching mosquitoes and flies. And oh my God, we have palmetto bugs down here. They're like flying roaches. These things aren't trying to hurt you. And they are wonderful in your garden. Absolutely wonderful. I name them all Charlotte. Every one of them's name is Charlotte. Now, what in the hell does that have to do with witch life? Well, honey, these are your wards. They're not your only wards, but they're a very specific kind of ward, if you know what I'm saying. They're the ones that will eat the negativity. The funny hits that come at you, whether on purpose or just the way we have to get through this life, they're the ones. And if you don't have something, anything that is intended to ward off negativity in your life, and if it's not sort of a living, mm, organic, you've put energy into this thing and maintained it kind of ward, then they're not going to be very effective. I can't just throw out a bunch of ladybugs and then when the population dies off or whatever if they don't do well here okay well there I've, I've done the best I can now I will tell you this is why my war weavers are allowed to stay because then they have these wonderful little egg sacs back to EB White okay in the book and then in the spring I get all these babies and these babies do work They do this work. So you have to care about your wards. You have to invest in them. And they don't have to be a certain particular thing. You don't have to go to a witch store and buy, you know, a $50 special mirror, all bedazzled. You don't have to do that. Oh, honey, you could just go get you a little tiny mirror if you want to do that. You could do other things. You could do stones that are charged or (laughs) if you're real country... A stick you've peed on and hammered into the ground. There are a lot of ways to do wards in your life. Just to show you're taking care of those and that they're living well. Mm, maybe not living, but energetic things. And of course, you need to consider the seasons. I mean, any kind of good pagan does. You don't want to be planting on a season, not unless you've learned that in your area that's working for you. But that kind of brings me to the last and the most, I guess, um, rebellious moment of how I see plants and what they've taught me. Now, of course, I try to grow native plants. I try to grow things that were from my area hundreds of years in. And overall, that is the best way to go. I like a native life. However, upon occasion, a non-native plant will actually do very well in our area. Now, we've already discussed the avocado. That ain't happening, y'all. But let me tell you what did work well here. Yacon. It's from the Andes. Worked wonderfully. Still does. And turmeric. You know, when I first got that turmeric, I was told that I would have to keep it inside the house. I would have to leave it in a pot and bring it back in and out. And I didn't think that was a tenable living situation. I'd already learned from avocados. (laughs) Uh, I'm not doing that. But what I did do was I covered it with hay right before the first freeze. And deeply so. And then the next year I went out there and around, I think it was um, April or May. There it was. Growing back. Now, (sighs) turmeric is just not native to here, but I need it. It's growing well here. It's non-invasive. Well, what the hell that got to do with a witch life? Well, remember that thing I said about the difference between rooty witchcraft and high ritual magic? Yeah, um, I'm not one for dogma. I am one for good research and thought and planning and experience, but Dogma, not so much, and I have to tell you, I've got a couple of people in my life and a couple of magical moments that I value very much that are not native, but it works, and it works for me every time. And bad children, that is what matters. I guess it's really just about balance in the end, y'all. A little common sense, what my grandma used to call walking sense. A little bit different than intelligence. Oh, well, now. Y'all, that's the best I can do. That's a little witch advice from a farmer who happens to also practice the craft. If I could give you anything, it would be to incite you to grow something. To take a really deep and thoughtful record of that growing. I'm telling you, it changed my craft. It changed my soul. It mattered to me. I mean, I don't give a damn if all you grow or chives. Just try. It brings you into that deep well of living that you can't get anywhere else and that you've been divorced from if all you've ever done is go to the grocery store. One tiny attempt. The best you can do. It'll matter. And if you're not a witch... It will still help you. There are people who have cancer, and they do these wonderful gardens for those folks, and it helps them to heal. We're coming out of one of the worst years in U.S. history. And we're still in deep shit, y'all. Oh, for fuck's sake, grow something. Even a flower. We need to do this. Now, I'm going to wrap this up. I hope I wasn't too teachy in this particular podcast. I do have an announcement. I have a very dear friend of mine, and he has started a wonderful candle company. It's based out of Atlanta. And the reason he started this candle company is the sweetest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. We went into lockdown in 2020, and my darling, oh, a beautiful gay man, who honestly, I just wish was my son. (laughs) Life's not fair. He was stressed, you know, like all of us. And he was at this place where, you know, when you go into panic mode and you think, I don't know, oh Lord, what am I going to do to get my favorite wine? Or how am I going to live without my hair color? Uh, But my darling Tyler, he said to himself, candles. What about my candles? They had brought him so much peace and so much joy. But the story that really mattered to me was he took his candle, the one that he loved the most, and I will not tell you what brand that was, because that's just ugly, and we're not going to be ugly. But he turned that upside down and he found a warning. There was a warning on the bottom of that candle, and it had to do with the environment and how it could hurt certain things in the environment, including fish. And he said, you know what? There's got to be a better way. Well, my little darling butt has gone and started his own candle company that is 100% safe for the environment. He's working very hard on all kinds of things, including ethical packaging. But the thing I love most about my little darling is that he's also donating so much of his work and his time. He gives to foundations that work for HIV-positive patients. He's considered any charity that matters in this world. But he also listens to people. And what he wants to do is create fragrances that matter to people, that bring them back to a place in their life where they felt safe and happy and warm. I can get behind that, y'all. I sincerely can and my favorite fragrance he's got out right now is Grand's House. It's, uh, I don't know, kind of smells like warm cherry pie with a fig tree blowing in the breeze right behind your window. Totally a southern moment. You may not be into that, but honey, his candles, I'm telling y'all witches, and I'm telling y'all non-witches, are the most heartfelt candles I've ever smelled. Now then, you can go to jpcandles.com, and if you put in the code Southern Fried Witch, now you've got to capitalize the S for Southern, the F for Fried, and the W for Witch, you're going to get 10% off your candle. And I would just love it if y'all would go do that, give him a shot. I would also love it if you would go ahead and give his little page a like on Facebook. He means a lot to me. I stand by him. He's not a witch, y'all, but he is one sweet, down-home, good, noble young man. And I stand by his product, and I stand by him. So y'all do me a favor. Go buy a candle. I'll link him in the description so it'll be easier for you. But this is my very first coupon code, y'all. So you support me, and you support my little bunny rabbit, who means so much to me. And has been there for me through ups and downs and has a heart of gold. All right? Okay, well, that's it. I love y'all. Go grow something. Have hope. It's not over yet. Spring's a-coming. Blessed be. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the Deep South.